Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of GovInfoSecurity.com, and I'm pleased to welcome back Navy Chief Information Officer Robert Carey. This summer, he's leaving his post, but not the Navy, to become Director of Strategy and Policy at the Navy Fleet Cyber Command 10th Fleet. Welcome back, Rob. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate it. What have you learned about information security during your four years as Navy CIO that you'll bring to your new job at the Navy Cyber Command? The depth and breadth and the expanse of our network infrastructure is vast. The explosion of IT over the 1990s and the early 2000s was really built upon having information security almost take a back seat. Now, of recent, that has become a front seat item and a driver for things that we do. So over my tour as CIO, I sort of learned that we've got a lot of catching up to do. We've got a lot of uh, corralling of what we allowed to expand because we were able to, to get mission accomplished, to get our arms around and apply the right security controls to networks, application systems, and C4 systems, if you will. So it's a little bit of a game of catch-up, and it's also a game of culture. For example, most people need to be educated a little bit about why security is important, because in the consumer world, they view the devices that are available in the consumer world and the things that they're available to do at home, they should be able to do at work. And while I don't deny that, I have to be able to say with a straight face that we have a secure network. So we sort of have to balance the need and desire to provide near-infinite access to information while applying the right sets of security. So that is a, a polarity, and that's another thing that I learned, that you know, you got to have both. you got to have information access and collaboration and sharing, and you have to have proper levels of security. And you feel that you're accomplishing that because you are using new media in the Navy and new devices. We're learning to take that appropriate balance to allow the access. We've opened up all the ports we have, for example, social media going on right now. You know, at lunchtime, things like that, people can get on Facebook. But at the end of the day, we'll gather data at our network operations centers, and we'll determine with fact now that that was really, in fact, letting our guard down or it wasn't. I've said all along, I said these are good things to do consistent with maintaining the proper security posture. Let's take Facebook. You're saying that the members of the Navy can use this. What are the limits of that use? The limits right now, it's like anything else on the web. you got to get your job done. Every person who sits down and has a PC at their disposal, that government asset is there to facilitate them accomplishing their work and their mission. It is not there for their personal enjoyment. Now, that's not to, to say that we occasionally need to get an email from the school district saying schools are out today and you need to go you know, get your kid or that at lunchtime you don't do a little collaboration and, and social networking on Facebook not to interfere with your work. The same rules apply on Facebook as are any government assets. You know, they are not to interfere with or cost the government money for you just to use it. You haven't seen any major threats from employees using Facebook and other media to the networks? I have not seen the data yet, so I don't, I can't, Eric, I can't, talk to you with facts, but our NCDOC folks down in Norfolk, Naval Network Warfare Command and Navy Cyber Forces Command are gathering up information now and monitoring what's going on, and, and they'll be able to present facts that either support or actually show that there has been no effect of opening up these ports, and, and that's what we need. We need facts. You know, if we had no access to these sites, you actually have no data. You have a little bit of data, and, and you need to gather up some statistically significant data that leads you to make decisions based upon what you've learned. We've got to do some analytics to understand the effect, and once we have the analytics done, we'll be able to make decisions. 
Around Labor Day, you will become Director of Strategy and Policy for the Navy Fleet Cyber Command 10th Fleet, in which you'll help develop cybersecurity strategy for IT and communication systems that support the Navy's warfighting apparatus. Uh, please tell us a bit more about your new assignment. Barry McCullough did not have, you know, SES billets allocated to 10th Fleet, Fleet Cyber Commons. We figured out that he needed some, and that would be a place where it would be a likely place for me to go and continue to help the Navy and apply what I know to his world, not concerned so much with the Marine Corps side, but just the Navy side, and keep focused on improving cybersecurity, improving our ability to conduct mission with C4 systems while raising our ability to defend against attacks, reducing the footprint of Naval Network Enterprise, for example, because we have so much out there, and it's very difficult to defend 400 networks compared to, let's say, half that or a quarter of that. There's a lot of work to be done, and then as the Navy Navy component command to U.S. Cybercom, the national level issues that are being addressed and pushed by General Alexander, we will obviously be engaged in feeding into those to see how you know we can best implement. One of the things I know he'll have me work on is trying to sort out how much industry and the FFRDCs, the research centers, can help us with cybersecurity as a whole. Trying to find the right solutions, I think trying to define requirements that will allow industry to go back and build solutions that we need that are consistent across the enterprise. We need to achieve some consistency across the enterprise uh, as soon as we can. Talk a little bit about the relationship between the Navy Fleet Cyber Command and the new Military Cyber Command. The Navy's component command to U.S. Cybercom is 10th Fleet, Fleet Cybercom. So it is a what I call an OPCON reporting relationship that General Alexander can order Admiral McCullough, who can then order the Navy networks to, to do things. Network operational commands took orders from JTFGNO and U.S. Stratcom the same relationship exists with U.S. Cybercom. It's an operational relationship, and we understand that. If General Alexander were to say, hey, turn off this or that or the other thing and provide the lawful order to do so, we have to do that. Now, interestingly enough, in the federal side, U.S. CERT does not have that authority or that ability and that chain of command within the laws. There's no methodology as of yet to allow that to occur. All the federal agencies have their own chains to take action. Now, U.S. CERT can tell them to do certain things, but it's a little bit more of a complicated process. Do you think that's a problem that the civilian agencies face that should be addressed? I think it's a challenge. Yes, I think we need to be able to move with some great speed and alacrity in the Internet age. We do not have time to have people report back X days later that they did or didn't do something. All I will say is that it's far more complicated because there are just many federal agencies out there. It's not as simple. We enjoy the fact that we're all within the Department of Defense, and basically Secretary Gates is in charge, and then as you flow down from Secretary Gates and DefSecDef Lynn, flow down from him into the military commands where the STRATCOM or it's U.S. Cybercom, 10th Fleet, Fleet Cybercom, on down, you know, that chain of command exists. And the ability to execute and be required to execute lawful orders is just there. It's inherent to the military. That doesn't exist across the civil sector, but similarly that need exists. So I think we just have to work through those relationships and make sure that we're not overstepping bounds, not violating any laws or other relationships that exist at the federal sector when those kinds of things come about. Even though you work in the military, you have a certain perspective of the civilian side as your role as co-chair of the Information Security and Identity Management Committee of the CIO Council. 
listening to you, I'm thinking it sounds as if maybe the federal government is moving in the direction you're speaking of with giving more authority to the Department of Homeland Security in that area. They are. Listening to what's going on, there is a desire, I believe, to place the Department of Homeland Security in a leadership position in the cybersecurity space for the .gov domain. They'll need lots of help because there's lots of challenges at the federal level, but they are, I think, going to be the swingman, if you will, for cybersecurity efforts in the federal government. Some of the draft legislation that's on the Hill actually references that. They're getting ready to really unleash, I don't want to say a chain of command, but I'll say tap an organization on the shoulder and say, okay, here's the person who is the lead for all these things. Now, there'll be some collaborative measures set up, I'm sure, and then some mechanisms set up to have the other agencies follow the lead of DHS. Uh, now, you work with a, a wide variety of agencies in your role as the co-chair of the Information Security Committee. Can you give an assessment of how collaboration among the various departments work? And are we beyond the era of CSIROs? Is collaboration among various agencies and departments on tackling common IT security matters progressing smoothly? Well, I think we've come a long way. So let me answer that by a yes, that I believe we now know that we don't have enough money to go it alone with silos anymore. Agencies just can't afford to do everything themselves or think of their own solutions out of the box. So there's generally been a, hey, let's look up and see who's done what. The ICMC committee that, that Van Hitch and I co-chair, we started out with just a few members, and we now generally have 50 people there at every meeting, generally representing, I would say, upwards of 30 agencies, which is pretty powerful because they're coming to, A, collaborate with their friends. They're coming to make sure they don't miss something that's said, and they're coming to see, hey, where are we going? And if and if something is being popped out and the committee has a chance to be the vetting body of a document, a thought, a task, what have you, you know, you come to that committee and you participate and you get a chance to open your mouth. You get a chance to say what you want to say and have your voice heard. And then ideally, you know, we have pushed some things up to Vivek to pop out incorporating into policy and we've popped out some things that have become sort of just documents that are federal standards for all to consume. I think that collaboration, when the need becomes very dire, as the need in cyberspace is right now, you will see people collaborating because there is no ability to just go it alone. It's not an efficient way to proceed. You're starting to see the agency heads being brought into this, being brought into understanding that this is something that they need to care about, whereas maybe four or five years ago, this was somebody else's problem. When the agency heads become aware that they're accountable for the cybersecurity of their department, if you will, or their agency, then suddenly they will develop that relationship with the CIOs and the CISOs to raise the bar. Navy Undersecretary Robert Work is a champion of periodically moving senior government executives to new assignments to benefit the Navy as well as their careers, and he's the one who asked you to take on your new assignment. What do you see are the pros and cons from the Navy's perspective as well as your own career to such an approach? If one is doing a bang-up job in his or her current job, doesn't that agency suffer when that individual leaves? There's a yes and a no. 
you have to keep the long-term health and benefit of the organization in mind, right? We're a member of the Department of Navy team, and I work for the secretary and the under, so I know when to salute and move on, and I know when to be able to chomp back and say, hey, that's not right, let's do something different. But in this case, I have been in the job long enough. The unders asking me to move to a new position wasn't a surprise to me at all. We had talked about this a few months ago, and so it was not a big deal to me that I was hearing those words from his mouth. And I support movement. I think it's good. You get very comfortable in these jobs at times. You, know, you spend the first year or so learning the job. The second year, you're now trying to establish an agenda based upon some understanding of the job. And then you spend the third year executing. And I talked to Dave Wedegren, my predecessor, and, and Dan Porter, his predecessor. There's a point in time when not only are you riding the horse, but you broke the horse in. It's not difficult to get up on the horse every day. At that point in time, you instinctively know that you're probably ready for a new assignment, that you need to keep yourself sharp and focused and be able to help the corporation where the corporation needs it. Now, the corporation needs help with Cybercom, so that's why I'm going up there. Well, good luck, and again, it's a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, Eric. Take care. That's Robert Carey, Chief Information Officer of the Department of the Navy. For GovInfoSecurity.com, I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.